See, people, when they click on this, they'll see the title. So they'll be like, poor Ed. What does that even fucking mean? However, because it's England, that's largely ignored and unstudied. I, I really wish for the sake of, of my sense of moral righteousness that I could get away with saying no. He had a goddamned ancestral home and a noble title until Germany became a republic. You know, n none of this highfalutin, you know, uh, critical role stuff. So they chewed through my favorite shit. No, I'm not helping them. I'm going to say that you're getting into another kind of, you know, Mediterranean or psyche archetype kind of thing. Makes sense. Also, trade winds are a thing. Haha, just serious. Like, no, he really has a mat on. Uh, yeah, we'll go off on a tangent. Um, as we keep doing. Like, yeah, I, this is this is yeah. how we fill time. teacher here in Northern California. And um, we, we record in the evenings. And um, today uh, we had a get together, a play date um, with uh, my son and two of his, uh, his, his two best buds from his uh, TK program. Uh, the two, the two best buds came over and uh, the dad of one of them and the mom and dad of the other one came over and, um, I've, I've talked about this group before. Um, and it was, it was nice to, you know, get together and talk with other adults for a little while while the kids were running around. And, um, I feel a little badly for our cats though. Um, because we had three, uh, five-year-old boys and, uh, the younger sister of, of one of the boys who I think is about a year old. Um, uh, <laughs> and between, between the four kids, um, our, our, our two cats, uh, are, are exhausted. Um, I, I think, I think our orange tabby might need therapy. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's quite an experience to have that much, uh, kinetic energy, uh, moving around in the house at once. And at a couple of points, they were all focused on one or both of the cats. And yeah, so, so I, 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 on the one hand, I, I kind of want to, you know, give them both extra scratches for kind of taking one for the team. Um, and on the other, I feel like a terrible, terrible cat parent. So that was, that was what I had going on earlier today. Uh, how about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California, uh, and, uh, today I stepped on the scale as I do every morning because I'm a big believer of, uh, apples to apples, just comparing same time every day, okay. getting a trend, getting a feel for things. I recognize okay. that 
weight is just a number and yet being able to see certain parts of my body is yeah. intrinsically tied to that i've also come <laughs> to notice that certain weights mean that clothes fit differently like there's threshold weights like if i get okay. down below a certain number i'm like oh okay need to tighten another notch in my belt kind of thing okay right. um as of today i am down 11 pounds from when i started nice. recording the food that i eat and i'm on right. a a goal of losing x amount of pounds through the course of about a year right. i've hit my goal every day of coming in under a certain amount of calories um it's it's okay. by no means unhealthy the amount of calories i've got in fact it's damn near double what my partner gets because i'm a big boy so yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and and as such like you know I, I told her like hey i lost this much she's like i've only lost this much i'm like proportionally that's roughly the same, I bet. <laughs> well, there's there's that. Proportionally yeah. is is one thing. There's also uh, just the fact that based on blood chemistry and you know muscle mass to weight ratios, men, yeah. it is easier for you and me to lose weight, yeah, than than for somebody with with two X chromosomes, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, this, this that has come up with with me and my wife when we've been when we've been you know working on you know getting more exercise and mm -hmm. you know watching our diets and all that, and I'll have a week where I'll lose six pounds, right? You know because I'm because I'm starting it like you know fat fuck and I'm you know uh, working real hard at it, and I'll lose like six pounds and she'll lose like a pound and a half and <laughs> she'll just be like I hate you so much I'm like I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to do about it. Well, and I yeah. always just mark it as like, well, don't you want me to weigh less on top of you? There you go. So there you go. You know, All right. Just Fair. my advice as a a veteran of two marriages. Um, there you go. I offer you that. So. <laughs> you know, I really admire your ability to turn that into a, into a positive. That's <laughs> well, I mean, certainly the first one it is a positive. Uh, yeah, well, and... it's. I, I like the way my life is and you yeah. know my my ex is living her authenticness uh, her her most authentic self now yeah. i see that as a positive so okay. yeah 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 you know yeah. um right. first one i get a mulligan second one bad fucking luck uh you know it was great for what it was until it wasn't and it was like okay, okay well, there cool. you go so, All right. All right. yeah uh, so let's see. When last we spoke, I was advertising that we're going to discuss the Spike Jones music video, uh, which is just mm. delicious fun. I mean, it really, <laughs> really, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're going to get into that. I may well send you the link and pause the show for it. Um, in fact, I, I think I'm going to do that right now. Uh, what? All right, now that we are done pausing, uh, that okay. was Spike Jones's Pass the Biscuits Mirandi. Okay, so yeah. so hold on. Oh, okay. I haven't um, started, so that right. should be... I yeah, yeah I, okay. Um, so that it has Spike Jones's name on it. Yes. Um, and, and this was released when? 1943. Okay. Okay, that's all right. Okay, and uh, there, there are there's so much to to unpack there. And before we do, 
I would like yeah. to point out, in 1943, during the war, West Virginia had sent 6.6 of its total population to war. And that actually was only in the top half percentage of the country. Like, they were 24th in the country as far as how many of their population. Kentucky sent 6.1%. So both were within, like, a standard yeah. deviation of yeah, each yeah. other, right? Okay. Um, And uh, now, that's 24th in total number. Um. Okay. No, okay, so they're 24th in total number, not in proportion, because Kentucky okay. sent 6.1%, and they were 16th in total number. Um, incidentally, Tennessee sent 8.2% of its population, which was 10th in total number. Okay. Um, and California, Pennsylvania, and New York ranked in numbers 3, 2, and 1 of the total number of people sent. Really? Yeah, Pennsylvania sent the second most people to fight in okay. the war. California and sent the third most. And, third most, and, and yeah. New York was number one. Yes. So now huh. at the time, I believe New York uh, was the highest populated state too. Okay. Um, but so, now, yeah. so is that, that's, that's highest percentage of, of, or not highest percentage, that's, that's highest raw number of right. young men. So yes. as, okay. Yeah. But the, the percentage of military age males. Mm-hmm was only seven ten percent uh for new york or for new york so i, mean, I know I mean, that's, that's, that's in terms of their total population it mm-hmm. didn't squeak much above i think three oh, wow. um three okay. or four so proportionally hmm. west virginia and kentucky are bearing a greater burden but okay. the total numbers are going to be less right okay um, now, okay. Smack Jones and his City Slickers, which is the band's name, uh, they put together something called a Soundie, which is essentially a music video. Uh, and that was mm-hmm. for Pass the Biscuits, Mirandi. And it's like yeah. two and a half minutes, three minutes of full story about hill folk, right? Yeah. So feel free and, to start unpacking here. Okay. Well, they, they name check McCoys. They do. Directly. Yep. And Burton Boys? Uh, let's see. So in the in the poison. lyrics, uh, in the hills of Tennessee, sitting near neath a hickory tree, there's an ornery rifle shooting mountaineer. He loves mountain feuds, and he also loves good food. And when he goes home to supper, you will hear. And then we get the chorus of "Past the mm-hmm. Biscuits, Mirandi." Um, what I love about that first verse is he loves mountain feuds, yeah. like they enjoyed it, like it was their recreation, like yeah. Like, like USC students loved track and field, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the next verse, since nine o'clock, I've been sitting on a rock, a shooting everything in sight. I shot the boys and a dozen Barton boys. Yeah. Barton, a shooting okay. gives a man an appetite. And then yeah. the chorus, which this time mentions that he's here for a quick meal and has to head back out to continue feuding and may die. Yeah. Yeah. So I find it interesting. Could you just real quick describe yeah. what Spike Jones looks like in the video? Because I think that's this is an audio medium and people okay, might not yeah, be able yeah, to. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Go so he's got so he's got phone, a, in their car. Uh, yeah, he's got a broad brimmed straw hat that mm-hmm. looks a little bit a little bit like a like a cowboy hat with the way the brim is is turned up on it, but sure. not not a hundred percent. Right. It's clearly straw. Um yeah. Now he is he is clean shaven. Mm-hmm. He has there's a whole there's a whole pack of other guys with him, mm-hmm. not all of whom are, 
True. If I'm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're in, and a whole bunch of them come into the house and they're in overalls. Yes. And, uh, like check plaid shirts mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, they've got, style. yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, that fucking hurt. Yeah. Um, and oddly I'm not mad about it. That's, oh, that's, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, there's, there's gotta be eight or nine of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that come into the house and there's an older woman and a younger woman who is mm-hmm. very blonde and yes. has her hair uh, plated in braids. Uh, they're all dressed in old timey country clothing. Mm-hmm. He has one of his um, teeth blacked out too. Yes. Right? I, yeah. I was, I was getting to that. He's, yeah. he's missing a tooth and there's, there's a couple of places where uh, they're, they're making visual gags on how shitty the biscuits are because they're trying to bite them and they're spitting teeth out of their mouths. Right. <laughs> uh, a la, you know, Mary Melody's kind of kind of cartoon stuff. Sure. What's um, he carrying in his hand, by the way? Oh, well, they they're all they're all armed to the teeth. They're carrying <laughs> rifles. Right. Um and then and then at one point they roll a cannon up to the window because they're they're <laughs> sitting they're sitting at their at their repast. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lyrics say that you know a, a bullet hit the shack, and you know mm-hmm. they're, they're they come under fire, and so the whole the whole group of them wheel a cannon to the window, and uh, the younger woman uh, actually sits on the cannon. Yep. When they're when they're going to fire it, not side saddle either. Not sides, not ladylike. Mm-hmm. No, um, there's there's some Freudian shit going on there. Um, I think there's some class <laughs> shit going on there too. Like, really, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. These roofs um, would show us their ankles if we asked. Yeah. You know, these <laughs> these low rents, um, yeah. and their and their you know uh, audacious uh, behavior. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's here's some, there's a. Go ahead. Here's some more of the lyrics. Then yeah. he heard a rifle crack and a bullet hit the shack, and another one another broke the dishes on the shelf. So he grabbed his trusty gun. Because the battle had begun, and he knew that he must protect them, he must protect himself. Oh, pass the biscuits, Miranda. I'm a gonna load up my gun. I'll use your biscuits for bullets. I'll put them varmints on the run. He poured a ton of black powder in his gun, rammed the biscuits into place. He took good aim. Oh, my goodness, what a shame. Bang, the gun exploded in his face. Oh, yeah. darn your bandage, Miranda. I know that I'm going to die. Oh, darn your biscuits, Miranda. I knew they'd get me by and by. So that's the song. Yep. And like you said, everyone eats a biscuit, loses teeth. One guy, like you said, spits out a mouthful of teeth. Additionally, during the feeding, they were all crawling over each other to get to the food on the table, right? While he continues to sing, showing the uh, the lack of sophistication, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're all, yeah. And one of them grabs a funnel of some sort and begins playing it like an improvised instrument, kind of yeah. like what we saw in the previous cartoon of Betty Boop. Yeah. And another one grabs two wooden spoons, keeping rhythm. Another one plays a liquor jug whilst another still loops his suspenders or his belt, I couldn't tell, through the table boards and plucks away as though that's the base. I think um, it was the suspenders, but yeah. Yeah. And then one of the women goes to stir more batter and she sees herself in the mirror and throws a biscuit at the mirror because she thought that was a hostile face. 
get it? She's yeah. a rube and she's ugly. Mm, yeah. And then the fighting starts again. And that's, yeah, he loads up his uh, rifle with biscuits and the oven becomes the conveyor belt for biscuits, which are now mm-hmm. as good as bullets, right? So, yeah. And then, um, yes, there's the cannon. Um, and when it's time to pass the bandage, it's a set of long johns and he ties yeah. them around his wounded forehead very ineffectively. Yeah. And then it ends with the woman improperly straddling. Well, I would say properly straddling yeah, well, you know. the back end of a cannon and they're firing the biscuits so effectively that it actually sinks a boat. Yeah. Which is a little surreal. Uh-huh. Um but I mean, the whole thing on a certain level is kind of surreal. So that shouldn't really be a shock. Yeah. What what I what occurs to me now as we're talking about it mm-hmm. is there is a subconscious kind of a parallel to the home front war effort mm. in okay. the oven turning into a a kind of oh, conveyor yeah. belt. All of a sudden, it's pumping out you know pumping out all the all the ammunition at that point in the in the right. story. You know, although which, we did see that in the Betty Bo- Boop cartoon as well, somebody that's true. Was that's a good point. That's, but right, you're yeah, still, I right. still think that that's a valid, valid yeah. stretch. So yeah, there's there's so much classism mm-hmm. going on here. There is there is so much, uh, well, punching down yeah. uh, at at people who are who are poor, right, and who are portrayed as being in some ways, poorer than they actually are. Yeah. They're poor and rural. Yeah. There's a hill folk kind of affect going on. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's a weird kind of, it's, it's performative in a way, in a way that, and, and this is, this is a flawed analogy, but it's the first one that comes to mind in, in the same kind of way that blackface is a is performative punching down i was gonna this ask, is like I was this is like hillbilly you, face right like, right i was gonna ask know. you actually does this kind of fit in with your analysis that it's commedia dell'arte because these are stock characters at this point aren't they, they you know what they really are and yeah. and i hadn't made that jump in my own head yet but yes you're right i i think i think this is this is a a technologically advanced kind of commedia dell'arte skit going on mm-hmm. um and yeah they're they're stock characters portraying uh very broad uh cardboard cutout kind of roles mm-hmm so, I mean, and to the extent there is any plot in it, um, it's a it's a you know very straightforward tropey kind of story. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's. I I would. <laughs> I I would say that it's a little bit of a of a dig at Commedia dell'arte in, in this particular case, just because. In Commedia dell'arte, there was there was a beginning, a middle, and an end to a story, and this is kind of a character sketch. But it's yeah, in that yeah. same kind of it's it's in that same kind of milieu. Sure. Um, and yeah, it's 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 punching down really hard. Like yeah. Um uh, <laughs> like, you know, I, I know that it it is tiring sometimes to hear 
uh, folks, you know, argue about, well, you know, uh, rural whites are the only acceptable targets anymore, you know, as, as, as a complaint. And, and a lot right. of the time that's coming from not all the time, but, um, you know, there, there are plenty of times that that's, you know, coming from people who, who are using it as a complaint because they want to be punching down at a different group of people. But like, this is a really clear case of that happening. Yeah. And in the middle, and, and I, I really, it strikes me that this is in the, in the middle of a nationwide mobilization. One wherein these states that are represented by these caricatures. And I would say that these caricatures end up broadening the states they're representing. I don't think anybody thinks of these characters as only, well, that's only Western uh, West Virginia and <laughs> Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. But yeah. I don't, I think it's Appalachia or even, yeah. even more inaccurately, the Ozarks. Like, I think yeah. that's becoming the trope is that it's actually broadening out and mm -hmm. grouping that larger area. Are you, are you in the South or a border state? Mm-hmm. And do you live in the hills? Right. If, if, if those things apply, then, yeah. oh, hey, look, here's your stereotype. Yeah, it would be akin to um, a, a movie set in Louisiana and you automatically take it to a bio, a, a bayou, and you, bio. you play um, banjo music. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of yeah. idea. Yeah. So, well, yeah. so, so there's that one. Uh, oh, and then Lord Almighty. three years later, the war is over. Okay. It's mm -hmm. been over. Um, and there's a comedy novelty song called the Martins and the Coys. Now this was originally written in 1936, but in 1946, it gets used for a Disney short by the same name. Okay. So again, during the war, hundreds of thousands of people from rural areas continued to move into cities and city centers for work. So it wasn't just going off to war. It was also, remember, yeah. there's this whole depression on. There's a dust yeah. bowl going on. There are a lot of people um, moving. Like, uh, again, I think 12 million tons of topsoil was blown into Chicago yeah. uh, in the 1930s. And hundreds uh, or thousands and thousands of people um, yeah. from the Midwest moved to Chicago, presumably to be with their farms. Um, but, but so you have, yeah. you do have this, uh, people from the rural areas coming into the cities, um, for work, especially during the wartime industries. Right. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, in 1944, this song was actually worked into an opera ballad for the radio, uh, which was a new deal project to entertain the troops and to encourage people to sign up for the fight. Um, the feuding families in this decided to put aside their feud to fight Hitler together. Okay. So now we're using the the Hatfields and the McCoys, although they're called the Martins and the Coys, yeah. um, to to sell war bonds, you know, to to encourage yeah. uh, enrollment. And so in 1946, Disney released something called Make Mine Music, exclamation point. Um, and it was a musical anthology animated film. Mm -hmm. And it was the eighth disney animated feature film um and this particular anthology was the result of two things one unfinished ideas and two a ton of animators who had been drafted for the war and so like you just yeah. have this 
And that means that the ones who are left were tasked with writing and producing propaganda pieces for the government with very little time or pay. So yeah. anthologies that do not tie together a whole arc of a story become yeah. easier, right? Because you can have this desk doing this and this desk doing that. Yeah, and yeah. So this gets slapped together. And the first of the 10 different segments in the film was the Martins and the Coys. So this is the intro. This is the opening. Okay. And later it gets censored due to the gun violence that's de depicted in the cartoon. Oh, wow. Now, the opening title cards were of overalls, corn liquor, a guitar, a floppy hat, and a rifle. Just kind of like these images mm -hmm. for the titles. Uh, and then corn as well. Like, you know, it fades to corn. Um, and then a stump that has had all of its bark stripped away, which is then riddled with bullets that give us the title, The Martins and the Coys. Okay. So I'm going to give you the lyrics to the song first, and then okay. we'll get into it. Uh, Gather round me, children, uh, and I'll tell a story of the mountains in the days when the guns was law. When two families got disputing, it was bound to end in shooting. So just listen, and I'll tell you what I saw. Oh, the Martins and the Coys, they was reckless mountain boys, and they took up family feuding when they'd meet ever during time. They would shoot each other quicker than it took your eye to flicker. They could knock a squirrel's eye out at 90 feet. All their fighting started one bright Sunday morning, I remember, when old Grandpa Coy was full of mountain doo-oo-oo, and then a hiccup sound. Mm. Doo-oo-oo, hiccup, doo-oo-oo, hiccup. Just as quiet as a church mouse, he stole in the Martin's hen house because the Coys, they needed eggs for breakfast too. And then you hear the the clucking of a chicken, you know, and then, you know, bark, 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 but it's a koi, a koi, a koi. Oh, the Martins and the Coys, they was reckless mountain boys, but old Grandpa Coy had, has gone where angels live. When they found him on the mountain, he was bleeding like a fountain because they punctured him till he looked like a sieve. It's a Disney cartoon. That's pretty dark. So the Koi start right out to avenge huh. him, and they didn't even take the time to mourn. And they went out to do some killing where the Martins was distilling, and they found old Abel Martin making corn. Corn is, you know, liquor. Yeah. Oh, the Martins and the Koi's, they was reckless mountain boys, and old Abel Martin was the next to go. Though he saw the Koi's a-coming, he had hardly started running when a volley shook the hills and laid him low. So just like, fuck. Yeah. After that, they started out to fight in earnest, and they scarred up the mountains with shot and shell. There was uncle's brother's cousins. Why, they bumped him off in dozens. Just how many bit the dust, it's hard to tell. <laughs> like, like, kids grew up in a much, much, like, yeah, wow. Yeah. Oh, the Martins and the Coys, they was reckless mountain boys. At the art of killing, they'd become quite deaf. Uh, they all know they shouldn't do it, but before they hardly knew it, on each side, they only had one person left. <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> um, now the sole remaining Martin was a maiden, and as pretty as a picture was this grace. And then you hear a wolf whistle. While the one surviving boy was the handsome Henry Coy, and the folks all knew they'd soon meet him, they'd soon meet face to face. Oh, the Martins and the Coys, they was reckless mountain boys, but they're shooting and they're killing sure played hob. And they didn't bring no joy to know that Grace and Henry Coy both had sworn that they would finish up the job. So they're going to kill each other. 
So they yeah. finally met upon a mountain pathway, and Henry Coy, he aimed his gun at Grace, right at Grace. He was set to pull the trigger when he saw her pretty figure, and you could see that love had kicked him in the face. Like, even love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah, break no, in violence. here. For... Yeah. It's love, blood, and rhetoric school. You can have da-da-da-da-da-da, but right. yeah, blood is compulsory. Two. Yes. They're all blood, you see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just reminds me of my junior prom where my date kicked me in the face. Um, so Okay, I want to put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe not for sure. on the air. but Yeah, like, sure, sure. Okay, all right. Um, who knows? Maybe she's listening. If you are, Jenny, <laughs> I, I, I bear you no ill will, but you knew that already. Uh, so, oh, the Martins <laughs> and the Coys, they was reckless mountain boys, but they say their ghostly cussing gave you chills. Because the hatchet sure was buried when sweet Grace and Henry married. It broke up the best darn feud in these here hills. Like we're grading them now? Right. Well, not only are we grading them, but there's a level. The, every single time we've seen this, there's a level of entertainment to it. There's a level of, yeah. oh, they enjoy it. Or, you know how those people are. You know, it's that kind of. <laughs> yeah. That kind of yeah. vibe. You may yeah. think that this is where the story ended, but I'm telling you them ghosts don't cuss no more. Since Because since Grace and Henry wedded, they'd fight worse than all the rest did, and they'd carry on the feud just like before. So, holy shit. So <laughs> like, the straights are not okay. No. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's normalize partner violence. Well, yes. while, we're, while we're at it, in the yes. middle of everything else. Oh, yeah, in the middle yeah. of everything else. Let's just let's yeah. throw that in there because, yep. you know, it's the 1940s and, right. you know, the boys you know just got back from are. the war and and like, you know, yeah, it happens, right? Yeah. No, it yeah. shouldn't fucking happen. Anyway. <laughs> oh, wow. There's so, and, and another and another layer on the onion there. Oh, right? yeah. And that's well, not even describing the animation uh, yet. Yeah. <laughs> that's just the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so, oh my God. So now the cartoon, the two family houses on top of mountains with a river between them. And mm -hmm. I have a note here to show you a screen cap. So hold on. I a actually, second. while, while you were talking oh. about it, yeah. I, I actually went to uh, the, the Disney fandom website and mm -hmm. found the page about this, this feature. Oh, good. And so I have, so I have a gallery of images in front of me. And yeah, so I see, I see the image you're talking about here. There's, mm -hmm. there's two houses. Um, if you want to call them that, that's, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a generous description. Uh, they are very rickety looking. Mm -hmm. Um, and each of them is on top of a cliff really, mm -hmm. uh, with a, with a ravine between them and, uh, yeah, a river. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh. You know, and if you if you look at the the young lady uh, mm -hmm. and you look at the man, it's very, very iconic for that time. Um, yeah. She is, you know, very, very demure, very small, but her feet are kind of big because these are mountain folk. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's very well away. And he is just like rocked hard, like just slab sided. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, big strong jaw. His, his head his head is a rectangle and mm -hmm. and he has a jaw that a uh Spanish Habsburg would mm -hmm. would look at and go, Oh, we're related. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, uh here's you know, here is the let me grab the the screenshots that I have of it. So yeah. 
There we go. Let me drag and drop. There you go. It's and and now. the the depiction of the rest of the family. First of all, we don't see any other women in the family. It doesn't look like no. here from the no. images I'm looking at. And they are all um, bearded. Mm-hmm. They all have they all have particularly long, shaggy beards. Oh, you know what? Uh, don't look at these pictures then, because I think this is from a later cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, this is from Martins and and the Coys. Actually, I apologize. Yeah, yeah these are they. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Shaggy looking beards. They mm-hmm. all they're all wearing the same hat. They clearly go to the same haberdasher. Yep. Um. <laughs> same shoe shop too. As yeah. None. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is to say, yeah. Yeah. Now, if you look um, at the third picture that I give you, um, okay, there's a grandpa boy. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Who is, um, you see the drop dripping. Yeah, like yeah, F- falling asleep under under mm-hmm. a still. And so that actually, yeah, he will he will roll over. Cancer. He will roll over, yeah. and uh, and everyone wakes up because once the alcohol hits the ground, it explodes. Um. So, again, tying back to the Betty uh, Boop thing, where they yeah. used, you yeah. know, used it to to you know fuel her roadster. Um, yeah. So everybody wakes up to that. Guns are ready, and then they realize yeah. what it is, and they immediately go back to sleep. So you have again this: they are ready both for complete and total loafing, or yeah. ultra violence. Right. Yeah. And there uh, is no in between. Exactly, and the same thing happens and, on the Martin side too. But those are the yeah. redheads. So if you take a look, there's, oh yeah, there's, okay, yeah, you yeah. Know, a check a chicken pecking in the beard of one of them because yeah. his beard is and, so long, and they're and they're just completely passed out. Mm-hmm. Which now you know the thing is, um, mm-hmm. the the I find it interesting that whatever group you are trying to punch down at, mm-hmm. whether you are a racist white person denigrating African Americans, mm-hmm. or you are a city slicker denigrating rural folk, there is this this uh, thing that goes together that that seems to always be tied together of well, they're poor and they're lazy. And it's like, you've never met poor people, have you? Right. Like, because everybody I know who who has struggled with poverty, they are some of the, like, hardest hustling people I know. Mm-hmm. Because, like, either they're hustling real hard to get out of it or they're hustling real hard to make ends meet. And, and, but, but there is this, this, uh, caricature that always that always ascribes indolence and slothfulness to them and i'm wondering if that's rooted in you know the the calvinism protestantist you know protestant kind of kind of religious ideas that that so much of our culture revolves around from from the pilgrims. You know, the idea that if you're one of the elect, you are morally superior. And so these are all the signs that we have of that, even though, you know, Calvin himself said you can't tell who it is. Nobody knows but God. But, you know, I I don't know. I'm at this point I'm I'm just ranting. But the the tying of mm-hmm. well, you know, look look at look at 
how poor they are. Ha ha. And look how lazy they are. Ha ha. It's like, you're not actually right. really looking at real people. Like, no, you hell? are, you are dehumanizing them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so, uh, grandpa Koi, full of Mountain Dew. Right. Um, so he's drunkenly sleepwalking and goes over to the mountainside, like down the valley, back up. And he stumbles into the hen house and causes his ruckus. And the hen goes to the Martins. And I think that's what you see in the uh, the fourth picture that I sent you. Um, is the hen getting ready to wake them? Oh, no, no. She's scratching. There's another hen that shows up. Um, okay. And uh, she's awakens them by cluck, clucking McCoy, McCoy, McCoy. So right. they all wake up guns ready. And they take aim. Yeah. And what's interesting is even the pig wakes up guns ready and takes aim. So talk about dehumanizing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, by anthropomorphizing the others. Uh, so Grandpa Koi is using his beard as an apron to carry all the eggs out. He sees them all ready to shoot, uh, and he escapes under a hail of bullocks, having thrown the eggs in the air. Uh, the Martins, for their part, they're cheering him on uh, from their side. Um, he gets shot in the rear. He falls down the mountain, and I was only able to find the 1952 version, so it's possible there was more to it than that. Uh, but everyone mm. starts shooting at each other at this point. Okay. Now, at the end of all the shooting, the houses are down to the studs, and a shit ton of ghosts rise up from the scenery because there's tons of dead people on both sides. And mm-hmm. they're all in bed shirts and hats. Um, interestingly, they all end up in heaven uh, on clouds, and they're, of course, very lazy up there, too. Um, yeah. And the clouds themselves start weeping at the amount of dead. It's dark, man. It's it's, yeah. it's in the forties, yeah. like yeah, shit. Um, and then we're left with one on each side: the pretty, yeah. lovely figured redhead woman from the Martin side, and the very well built, uh, slab cut, like you said, blonde boy on the Koi side. Oddly and, blonde, since all of his male right? relatives are dark haired. Like no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Well, Hold I've known I've known plenty of people who start off as towheads and end up very dark haired. So. Um, yeah, I've, okay. I've known a couple of them, mm-hmm. but that change usually takes place before puberty. Yeah, probably. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm still thinking that, you know, Hey, uh, Coys, maybe, maybe you need to worry about somebody else. Somebody ought to be feuding with. Right. Rather than, <laughs> rather well, than maybe, that family. Maybe like, he's cotton top. Who knows? So, okay. All right. So uh, they both have guns. Neither one is wearing shoes. Both yeah. are cheered on to keep up the killing by their ghostly relatives who are up on their clouds. Yeah. Um, and then we are treated to the view of looking down his rifle and we see her silhouette. And it definitely looks like his penis is aiming right at her. Like speaking of paging Dr. Freud. Yeah. Um, he's immediately struck by her beauty and he is uh, and he starts leaping and dancing about. And at this mm. point, she sees him. She is similarly struck. And all of this is to the consternation of both of their dead relatives. Yeah. And, and now the two of them tie their guns in a bow, like you do. Yeah. Um, and they're enjoying each other's company in a field of flowers. You cut to them being then wed with a jalopy out front saying just married. Um, and then there's a good old-fashioned hoedown in the Possum Track schoolhouse. 
Yep. So we get to see all the mountain square dancing hoedown stereotypes here, including using a spittoon to punctuate the end of a song. Um, and you finish the cartoon in their house, says, quote, Henry and Grace carved into the door. A-N apostrophe race. Um, and then we see him get kicked out of the house completely flying through the air. And when he gets his footing back, Henry runs back ready to punch someone like he's, you know, why I ought to. Um, and he flies right into Grace's outfist, uh, outstretched fist instead. Uh, yeah. and, and then this is followed by multiple household items being thrown right back at him. Uh, mm -hmm. Henry, Henry runs against the tide of everything that's coming his way to try to get back inside, almost like Thanos going after Iron Man. Um, yeah. And then we don't see him hit her, but it's clear that two people are getting hit. And we zoom out to see the new marriage home is set in the valley between the two broken down homes with tons of violence happening inside and bookended by the two still destroyed house clans uh, or clan houses. Mm -hmm. And, and the dead relatives are all laughing at these two fighting. Get it, get it. Mutual spousal abuse. Get it. Now I will point out mm -hmm. that this is 46 when this comes out. Mm -hmm. uh, when was the honeymooners on? Did Honeymooners 50s. start in 50s? 50s, yeah. Because that is a few years later. True. And the... Um, the, 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 the greatest the, callback line of that series. Yeah. Yeah. To the moon, Alice. Right. As in, I'm going to punch you. Yeah. I'm going so to hard knock you. That you land into, on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. And... Wife of mine. Yeah. 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 Um, so like the the normalization of, of partner violence um is is just endemic. Mm -hmm. Um which I mean isn't an excuse for it, but uh, you know, um it's not necessarily tied to the problematicness of of the um caricaturization of uh poverty mm -hmm. involved here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, yeah, that's that's one of those one of those artifacts from an ancient era that one generation is going to look at and go, oh yeah, no, that was that was you know good wholesome clean fun, ha ha ha. Mm -hmm. And younger audiences will look at and go, what the fuck, grandpa? Well, even modern audiences I now, think. I I I think that you see the divide between the Vulgate and the critic, because the nation had an author, uh, a reviewer named James A. A. G. Agee, A. G. E. E. Um, he Once criticized it. Okay. He criticized it as infinitely insulting. <laughs> okay. So the critics Only had for him, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and, right. and I would say it is, but it's, it's kind of like, depends on what the people are really still laughing at though. Right. Too. The mm. common wheel called it tasteless. Um, and so you have reviewers calling it out for what it is. And what's happening here is that the Hatfields and McCoys are becoming shorthand for white folks who are like black folks. That's really what's happening. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. They're hillbillies, right. right? And that is shorthand yeah. for white people who are just as bad as black people. Okay. Right? I think that's what's going on in 1946. Um, because you've got the GI Bill. Okay. 
Time Magazine's reviewer said that Hillbilly Ballad uh, like this depicted in the Disney anthology would, quote, offend those who think such caricatures as insulting as the hush-ma-mouth kind of comic contempt for the ends. So the uh, he doesn't say the N word, but he says the 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 one where for which there's still a the, united the, college the formal. Fund. Okay. The, the yeah. formal term from which the slur is derived. Right. Okay. And he said that, uh, or the, the reviewer said it depicted a quote, phony popular attitude about hillbillies end quote. And it was part of the Vulgate enjoyed depiction of white folks who didn't measure up to white sensibilities and standards. In post-war America, this is an increasingly popular trope, especially when you accompany, you have these two things colliding. You have Jim Crow and the GI Bill, right? Okay. And the GI Bill. And you've got these Jim Crow-styled caricatures of black people still in the popular popular sphere, uh, as also seen in Make Mine Music's final piece about a whale who gets killed. But in heaven, he sings Shorten and Bread with a chorus of dolphins uh, doing similarly to back him up. I vaguely remember that cartoon mm-hmm. from when I was eight years old. And yeah. yeah. So now that I know, now that I know <laughs> the, the uh, unfortunate problematic history behind a lot of that. Yep. Um, I, I don't think I could watch that again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. shit. Um, damn. Um, mm-hmm. so you've, you've mentioned the GI bill a couple of times and uh-huh. there's, and there's something that, that I kind of want to, I want to pick at with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, when you're talking about the GI bill and we're talking about, you know, this group of white people who aren't measuring up to the idea of like what you need to be in order to qualify as white. Right. right? Do you do you think this is a reaction to, well, now we've got all these uncultured hillbilly, you know, fuckwits showing up at universities and getting a you know, getting getting ideas above their station. Do you think do you think it's it's a it's a knee jerk reaction by the bourgeoisie to that, or is it? just a just a punching down because now the bourgeoisie are are taking advantage of all of these things and oh look you know look look what we've look what we've elevated ourselves from ha 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 i think it's more the former than the latter and okay. uh by mentioning the gi bill uh i like that you brought up the college thing and not the housing thing because as we know the housing thing was far more restrictive uh for yeah. black veterans right yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that the specter of desegregating neighborhoods didn't exist. It certainly did. There's all kinds of videos of women being upset that they moved to a suburb that they thought was going to stay white, even yeah. though they're not racist. Um, but fuck those people, <laughs> right? Like, oh my god. Um, but uh, yeah. the the GI Bill did enable a lot of black veterans to leave the South and go to mm. universities. In the North and the Midwest, yes. Okay. And now that means places that had formerly been white hamlets that didn't have any race issues. uh, (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden, yeah. Yeah, these veterans are bringing all these race issues to us, you know? So it's like... Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) 
let's let's work on our framing here right uh uh jimmy um (laughs) so but uh but yeah you know i think i think that tension yeah yeah whitey chick yeah (laughs) um (laughs) biff yeah Uh, yeah uh dude (laughs) yeah but i do think that 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 tension that existed with uh jim crow existing uh and de facto jim crow existing uh everywhere else yeah Yeah. now again there were plenty of instances of black neighborhoods uh black middle class neighborhoods getting started as a result of the war we live just north of one it's richmond um sacramento itself was enormously helped by the war effort especially uh black neighborhoods um in sacramento oak park became Mm -hmm. a huge hub uh for black arts culture a lot of money started moving through there and what have you oak park is a neighborhood in sacramento for folks that are not uh local from that area yeah (laughs) yeah um but richmond uh shirley moore dr shirley moore wrote an incredible book about the the uh the birth of the middle class in richmond due to the kaiser shipyards um you see the same thing in minnesota you see the same thing in in massachusetts you see uh chicago uh, and and on top of that you have the great migration or the second yeah. great migration right um yeah. and so you've got all of that and you still have like the jim crow tension and so yes that's there additionally you have the movement of poor white people along the same avenues mm-hmm. so you've got yeah. this increased tension of like you know again we talked about last time with bum brigades right um you know keeping the wrong kinds of white people out that kind of stuff and the further that hatfields and mccoys got from the country the more short-based and uh and look at these rubes the entertainment got um and it becomes shorthand uh for that area It's, it's mimetic right um because these folks are again now in the cities for the first time in living memory um and their farms have largely collapsed you know and and you yeah you don't see the ones who stayed um and and what have you so that's what you're seeing through about 46 now okay in 1949 somebody finally thought that the story was yet again ready for a feature film oh god yes uh and now the story doesn't stick to history at all it doesn't even really try um it's as though somebody took the name of the feud took the idea of the Romeo and Juliet plot and decided mm-hmm. to play with all the rest. Um, you oh, may recognize, yeah, you may recognize the name Billy Weiler. Bigly. Okay. He was formerly a producer for Samuel Golden, Goldwyn productions. Um, okay. Which yeah. Eventually would turn into MGM, right? Uh, yeah. He left the company in 1946 over having his credit stolen for the best years of our lives by Goldwyn. Oh, okay. All right. Goldwyn didn't just steal a producer credit, by the way. He snubbed Weiler at the Oscars, and the film won seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. Oh, wow. And okay. al- although the film was the highest grossing film since Gone with the Wind, Goldwyn also cooked the books to deny Weiler his due pay, along with his due credit that he had been promised. Wow. Yeah. That's be- that's special spot in the bad place kind of <laughs> shit there. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. And because Goldwyn was still bitter and mighty petty, uh, 
with uh, over Weiler's departure when Kathy O'Donnell, the, the actress who was originally slated to play Rosanna McCoy, she married Weiler's older brother. He replaced her with Joan Evans. What the <laughs> fuck? Right. So the actress like, who was supposed to be in it oh. married the older brother of the guy that I'm mad at. Fuck her then. So, okay, so wait. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what you're saying is he turned this into a family feud. In some ways. It was very one-sided, but yes. Well, yeah, but yeah. like... Yeah. We're, we're talking about clannishness here. Like, uh, yes. Dude, yes. come on now. Yeah. I don't yeah. think this is uh, Goldwyn being clannish so much as... as I, I get what you're saying. Like he's he's yeah. going after every aspect of Weiler's family. Yeah. Um, but he's not trying to protect his family in any way. So that's all why right. I, yeah, I sure. hesitate. Right. He's just being oh, a, yeah, he's just being a dick. All yeah, right, fine. Yeah. So the woman who uh well, not the woman, the girl who plays plays uh Rosanna McCoy is Joan Evans. And the reason I say that is because she's 14. Oh, oh no. Yeah. But her parents said she was 16. So you've got kind of got this Mila Kunis thing going on. 16. Mm. That's still less than like, you know, Mm -hmm. pointing away from 18. Like, come on now. So it's a very creepy addition to the movie. Uh, (sighs) Especially when you look at the historical record and you find out that Rosanna McCoy was actually about three years older than John C. Uh, Yeah. And they were, and they were both grown ass adults. Yeah. About yeah. 28 at the time of their entanglement. Mm, so the yeah. whole thing's it's gross. just fucking evil. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm reminded of The Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland. I like, was too. But God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood, come on now. Yep. Fuck. Yeah. And everybody wants to, you know, and there's and there's this urge to romanticize this period in Hollywood history. You're like, no. Right. The moment you actually learn the shit that was going on, you're like, no. Please, can we not? It's, can it's, we please not? It feels like when people romanticize what like 1960s Australia was like. And I'm like, they hadn't figured out their septic system. Everywhere smelled like shit. Like, you can't get away from that. That is that is so brilliantly niche. I I I had not known that yeah. until now. And, Sydney and smelled like, like a porta potty potty. Like that was. All the time, like they finally Porta figured Polly. it out, like ah, by the nineties. Like shit. Ah. Yep. <laughs> Porta Polly. Out of paper. Didn't wash. Didn't wash. Ah, burning man. Ah. <laughs> um. Dropped your keys. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh. I'm. You know what? Someone else can have my car. I'm gonna go buy another <laughs> one. Done. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's okay. <laughs> Uh yeah. Um but like she oh my god, she was 14. Yeah. Her parents so like mm-hmm. there's so many there's so much awful there. Yes. Her parents lied, oh she's 16. Yeah. To get her the job as the romantic ingenue mm-hmm. in a in a movie. She's 16. Like that makes it better. <laughs> and here's that, the thing: Do you somehow think it does that makes though? It not creepy. Like, like it's still awful, right? Yeah. But it does make it better because, like, yeah, I, I mean, my grandma was. She met my grandpa when she was 15, and he was in his 20s. 
if she met him when she was two years younger, it would be way worse. I I I get what you're saying. Yeah. But like Oh yeah, I don't want to be on record saying that that's I'm okay. Still, <laughs> I'm still just, full body, full body squicking yes, over like yeah. the whole thing. I like, teach 16 okay. year olds. Yeah. It's no, it's not okay. No. It is not okay. Like, it's so not okay. No. Anybody, anybody who's spent any meaningful amount of time mm-hmm. around high school students is oh, gonna yeah. be like, no, just you know, <laughs> Don't romanticize this. Sit down. Shut the fuck up. No. I had a student <laughs> my probably second year of teaching came to me yeah. and asked me if I could change her grade in my class because she was on a contract with her parents and she needed to get certain GPA so they would okay. let her get married. Wow. Wow. What? That was early 2000s, by the way. So this person is probably in their 30s. Uh, and and based but, on that, probably has about five kids. But like... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hmm. I hope that uh, they live a very... Well, I already said she. I hope that she's living a very ha- happy and uh, like fulfilling life. I genuinely yeah. do hope yeah. that for yeah. her. Yeah. Right? Yes. But... And I told her, I said, if you knew that going in, then shouldn't you have worked harder the whole time so that you don't have to come to me and ask me about this? And also, if you're unable or unwilling to put that work in, perhaps maybe you should reconsider getting married right now since delayed gratification hasn't been a strong suit. Maybe needs to be something you work on. What I didn't tell her is I think you've sabotaged yourself on purpose so you can get out of it. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, yeah. Wow. so yeah, you've got a 14-year-old playing Rosanna McCoy. Uh, in the movie, Rosanna McCoy gets stung by a hornet while picking flowers, and John C. anonymously comes to her aid over the sting. And when she finds out his name, she reproaches him as being part of that clan that shot and injured her mom so long ago. We're going to get to that because that's actually not far from the mark of what happened. Okay. But the thing that that is referencing, it's not referencing it on purpose, uh, but the the thing that it fell over into referencing is chronologically way out of order. Okay. Um, so John C.'s response was that it was Mount Hatfield, who everyone knows is mentally deficient, and so he did it on accident, and she's not having it. So just... Oh my God! So many problems. So yeah, there's there's a lot. Like just digest <laughs> wow. that the ableism on on yeah. top of everything else. Let's right. throw in right. Yeah. All right. Wow. Uh, yeah. Also, Mount wasn't the guy's first name. It was Ellison Mount. It just yeah. Know. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm I'm not even yeah. going to grade any of these things on historicity. Good I'm point. Just, at this point, I'm just going straight by. How fucked up is this? So later, though, he does what every red-blooded male does when faced with a teenage girl who doesn't want anything to do with him. Oh, no. He forces a kiss upon her, which, of course, course. will make her change her mind as it does. Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah. you know, obvi. Yeah. Now, what's interesting here is that the actor who played John C. was a guy named Farley Granger, who was a fairly openly bisexual actor who was a bit of a thing for a few years there from, like, the 40s and the 50s. 
Um, you might remember him as the tennis star from Strangers on a Train. Okay. The Hitchcock film that inspired Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crisscross. Yeah. Crisscross. Well, SWAT yeah. murders. That guy. Uh, uh, no, the guy uh, that that guy's talking to. I have right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, he was nine years her elder, but he thought he was only seven years her elder. He thought, I'm 23. I'm kissing a 16-year-old. Ew. Ill ew. Uh, yeah. Right? Right? There is an extra like, layer of ew like, because yeah, she's they're, actually they're, two years younger. It yeah, shouldn't be that big of a, a, a difference, but it is. But but it does. It Yeah. And all of it, like, that just makes all of it worse. When I, I thinking back yeah. to when I was 23. Uh-huh. There, there was no way when I was 23 that I would have been okay with, with, with that kind of contact with a 16 year old. Right. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't understand the mindset of guys who, who are like, well, you know, she's, she's, you know, it's sure for her age. I'm like, she's, you know, like, no. Well, and no. also, well, it's not like she's 14. You know, that's, you missed the point. You, you missed the point. Like, like you ran at the point full speed and, mm -hmm. and whiffed right past it. Like head butted it so hard that you drove it away. Like, <laughs> you're trying to capture and, a butterfly and you head butt it. Like, yeah. Yeah. And the only, and the only reason that, that you didn't suffer trauma from it is there's no brain in your head to be injured. Right. Like, so, okay. So anyway, um, yeah. he's 23, 23. He's kissing he's a 16 like, year old because he's know, being forced but, to by the studio. Uh, okay. On some level. I mean, they're, on, they're I mean, you know, keep in mind the studio system, right? Yeah. Financial, financial considerations, being right. a thing, a job is a job. Okay. Right. But still. Yeah. All right. Now, off screen, we we will discuss oh, a, a little no. bit more of, of that. But uh, for the purposes of this, um, so now Rosanna is hot for Jauncey, uh because yeah. he forced that kiss on her. And now right. she's convinced. Uh, but nobody realizes that her little brother, little oh, no. Randall, was watching the whole time. So right. that's going to come up later. Johnsy takes yeah. uh, takes her across to his parents, across the tug, to to introduce her to them and gain their blessing for a marriage. Now, for some reason, Devil Ants protests, but he's also happy. <laughs> he protests it, but he's also happy because it means that he can renew his feud with McCoy. Um, And Ants and his sons leave Ellison and Cap uh, or his sons, Ellison and Cap, they leave and they start fighting again with the McCoys. Uh, so right. Johnsy goes off to find a preacher, leaving Rosanna with Le uh, Levisa or Levisi, um, who they begin bonding uh, together, Rosanna and Levisi. But in the ensuing violence, Cap gets injured. Anson Levisi tend to him in Johnsy's absence. And then Mounts Hatfield shows up while Rosanna is alone in the Hatfield cabin. Ants ends up rescuing her from mounts. Rosanna then goes okay. to fetch water to help out, and her brother, little Randall, approaches her and convinces her to come home to the McCoys. She tells Johnsy goodbye, but tells him to call her on her at her father's house and speak with old Randall, 
which he eagerly agrees to do, planning on doing it the following night. Of course, on his way over, Jauncey stops at the store of the man uh, who proposed to Rosanna earlier in the film, whoopsie-doopsie, um, mm-hmm. and her brothers, Famer, Little Randall, and Tolbert, just happen to be there, and then Mounts walks in, and there, there's a brawl that turns into a shootout, and then the shopkeep, Thad, who, okay. who wanted to marry Rosanna, Carries right. the wounded Tolbert home to Randall McCoy after the fight, and he tells Randall and Rosanna, who are awaiting Jauncey, uh, that little Randall is stuck in the store still with Jauncey and Mounts. And Randall and Rosanna come to the store, and Jauncey orders his relatives to cease fire, admitting Thad back into his own store, along with Rosanna and old Randall. Mounts then turns on Jauncey and uses him, Rosanna, and little Randall as human shields, and he skedaddles effectively enough to upset old Randall into declaring an all-out war on the Hatfields. Okay. Yeah. Feel free to rewind this a couple times so that you can get pieces. Those of you who yeah, are, I, are You know what? No. Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> so then John C. Oh, you, and Rose, you were talking. Okay, you were yeah, talking. Listeners. To the listeners, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, John C. and Rosanna will not be denied, and they meet in secret. And of course... In not being denied, they're also not very careful, which leads to Mounts finding them. And he tries to shoot them both, because if I can't have her, no one will, and then I'll kill the one who wanted to. But Jauncey shoots Mounts first, and then he escapes with Rosanna by horse. Mounts is still has enough in him that he takes aim and gets ready to kill Jauncey, but that's when Devil Ants Hatfield kills Mounts. Um, and this, of hey. course, is enough that both sides lay down their weapons, allowing love to win. Wow. Did I mention that okay. there was some witchcraft and superstition in the beginning? <laughs> I feel like I should have. You, you, you didn't, but <laughs> I, I kind of yeah. feel like we should have all assumed that. Yeah. Based on all of the other, you know, ugly stereotype tropes. Right. And and <sighs> I want you to put a pin in the idea of witchcraft, by the way, because it's oh, going to no. come up no, later. No, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like, okay, so yeah. kind of as an aside, sure. um, the the folklore and, for lack of a better term, mysticism, I'm not sure what what other term I can use that, that wouldn't come across as pejorative, because I don't mean to be pejorative, but the, the uh, folk spiritual beliefs and the lore of Appalachia in particular is a really rich, fascinating example of the blending of several different cultures coming together. And, and some of it is legitimately goddamn terrifying. Like if you, I, I really want to see somebody uh, do a horror film built around uh, Appalachian uh, lore because it hasn't, Dr. Cruz has mentioned this a couple times to me. Uh, there is a podcast, I don't know the name of it, that mm. does deep horror set mm-hmm. in Appalachia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's adjacent to what you're asking for. Yeah. Yeah. But it's there. Yeah. Because the thing is, um, you know, everybody, ever since uh, The Exorcist, everybody wants to do, you know, demonology, Catholicism, the nun, you know, is like a big deal. Like, okay, yes, um, nuns are terrifying. Mm-hmm. Not going to argue with that. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but with that being said, like, no, no, no. You you want to talk about some scary shit, like just scratching the surface of, of Appalachian uh, uh, spirit lore mm-hmm. is it's scary <laughs> because it's like Lilliputianal, you know, folk lore from like yeah. Ireland yeah. brought over and then dosed heavily with like fire and brimstone and tent revival. Well, fire and brimstone and tent revival, and then also introducing uh, like folklore the, and the fauna from, of the area. <laughs> yeah, well, the fauna of the area, which is terrifying yeah. enough just by itself, but but also then uh, there's a really strong, uh, fascinating thread of African lore mm-hmm. wrapped up in it. Like if you look at some of the stories about how to ward off some of the spooks and 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 evil spirits involved it's taken directly from uh legends from from west africa mm-hmm. so there's there's a very clear uh uh crossing over of lore uh, uh between multiple different groups of people yeah that's true and i mean you know from from a historical anthropo- anthropological uh standpoint it's it's amazing and i really want to see I really want to see it as a source of lore get more respect, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I would actually like to see uh, somebody do kind of an overlay and see where there go instruments, does there go lore? Because I bet you, and this is not a pun, this is actually, I'm mm. genuinely curious, because you mentioned West African stuff, and I'm like, oh, yeah. stringed instruments from West Africa made their way into mm. Appalachian. Like, I'm just like, hmm, this would be mm. interesting too. Yeah. So, yeah. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. there are stories galore. Yeah. There's the pun. Just in yeah. case people were wondering yeah. if I caught it. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> so, right. so Bosley Crowther, you, you, you can be angry. Bosley okay. Crowther, uh, he was a famous reviewer for the New York Times at the time. Um, mm. I think he's the reviewer for this. Uh, and if not, this is what his replacement for that day said. Okay. It's it reads like Bosley Crowther, to be honest, though. Okay. Uh, so I'm crediting it to him. I might be wrong. Quote, okay. a chapter out of American folklore comes to fitful life on the screen in Rosanna McCoy, the Samuel Goldwyn production that was presented yesterday at the Capitol. There is much feudin', fussin', and lovin' in this pictorially handsome rec- recreation of the fabulous enmity between the Hatfields and the McCoys. But the characters lack the stature of true persons. The famous mountain families have been satirized and distorted in jokes and in comic strips for so many years now that it is difficult to take them seriously. This is a handicap the picture does not entirely overcome. Rosanna McCoy, as adapted by John Collier, or by Joan Collier, uh, does not have as much heart or narrative integrity as did the Alberta Hannum novel on which the film is based. There was a Romeo and Juliet quality to the written romance that does not come through uh, on the screen, the director has pointed all his action toward the inevitable gun clash between the clans. It is a lively, noisy battle, but somehow its effects is anticlimactic, and the spectators, in this spectator's opinion, heightens the feeling that Rosanna McCoy is not a valid dramatic achievement. That the producer strove to recreate an authentic picture of early American superstitions and ignorance is quite evident. Okay. So 
uh, more settings and depictions from what we've seen in the last few iterations, but this time with romance and action at the core, not animation or singing, right? So it's essentially same prejudices with new skin. Um, and okay. you yeah. can hear that in the review. So okay, that's that movie, yeah. which then brings me to the one that you probably know best, the 1950 Mary Melodies cartoon, Hillbilly Hair. Yes. Now, this one is important because it not only features Bugs Bunny, but it also mixes in the Rowan County War with the Hatfields and McCoys. Okay. The Hatfields and McCoys was not even the bloodiest of the feuds that was in that area in that time period. No. There were it's... a bunch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, because you have, number one, uh, a great many of them are coming from a a Scotch-Irish background. Yeah, and those fuckers uh, where... don't let a grudge go at all. No, it is, I can say it is that a cultural being thing. related to them. Yes, same. Um, you know, being being you know a a, a descendant of Reaver families myself, I can say mm-hmm. you no. Know, it's a, it's a it was a a cultural feature uh, that they that they brought over with them, and then you also have the fact that your family and your extended family were critically important to your survival. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the institutions were not strong enough in in you know, the kind of rural areas where they were living for you to be able to reliably count on the protection of the law. You had to count on the protection of your family. And additionally, everybody was living very close to the edge of survival. Yes. And so in those kind of circumstances, you have an environment where one family and another, there's there's every opportunity for you know, blood feuds out of the middle ages, basically to, to show up, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and patronage, like when, when there were issues of, of institutional strength, patronage became a thing because of all the cultural background I'm already talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it was, so this was a, this was a a cultural holdover and a cultural reaction to the circumstances in which everybody in that region was living during this during that time period. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, I think I want to leave it there because uh, it's easier to cut off before I get into it than after, because uh, I don't want to cut uh, some important stuff in in, in half. So. Um, that is that is actually a really good way to lead into. Is there anything else that you have gleaned from from this discussion of some fairly short and funny things ending with a melodrama at best? Um, I feel like there is a weird conflation of, of romanticizing. Mm-hmm. and lampooning going yeah. on kind of all at once like um the, i think the, both are inherently exploitative and well, yeah and they objectify it like they they are not yeah. authentic to it yeah um yeah. it's 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 really easy to gloss over details or to 
uh, choose to conveniently overlook the ugly reality of that kind of violence when you have mm-hmm. turned it into a kind of cartoon. Yeah. Literally or or figuratively. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is... You know, you you look at you look at this this story with with uh, you know the 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 movie that you just talked about, mm-hmm. and then you look at West Side Story, yeah, which is which is literally an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, right? Yes, and there is a similar kind of broadening mm-hmm. of the, for lack of a better term, the emotional color palette. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of, of, uh, West Side Story, it's Technicolor. So it's literally a broadening of the color palette. Yeah. A lot of, and, lot of bold, bold, solid colors for people. Yeah. 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 And, and the characterizations are all generally very broad. Now mm-hmm. the characterizations in West Side Story are more sympathetic, but they're still melodramatic. And they're still broadened in that way. I think they're also still white lensed. Oh yeah. You know, I I yeah. I, I think that, I mean, that we goes can, without saying, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's worth saying though, because we're yeah. talking about a region that is considered less than white in terms of its depiction. And okay. so I would yeah. say that if we don't want to bring the colorism in because it is white people depicting white people, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we fully acknowledge that there is a caste system in America. Um, it, certainly yeah. at the time that these movies were made, if if people want to read between the lines at all, it still is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> but um, like and, there there yeah. is a layer of these are worthy whites, these are unworthy whites. And yes. So and yeah, I think well, you can you can say it's still a white lens, but if people yeah. want to say there's still a class lens, I okay, fine. But well, I think it's I think both both apply. Yes. Um, and in the case of West Side Story, the white lens thing I think is important because remember the sharks are Puerto Rican, correct? And so, like, yeah, the the whole white lens thing applies there. Mm-hmm. Um. And they're all working class. Right. So the class lens applies there. Um, again, in, in that film, they're all portrayed more sympathetically mm-hmm. than we're seeing the, the hill folk uh, portrayed in any of these. But I think there's a similar, less extreme um, dehumanizing involved. Is what you get when you have white guys writing yeah. Uh, Puerto Rican people. Yeah. Um, is what you get. I mean, we saw this with uh, comic books. It's what you get when you get a white guy writing what he thinks black people are. Um, and you know, you you yeah. you're we're seeing the same thing here. You, you're getting yeah. a certain class of white folk writing what they think are these things, and not too interested in in finding out more. To be honest. Yeah, well, they don't think it's necessary. Right. Well, and they, I, they know what they yeah. need to know, man. Like, come on. Exactly. Exactly. And and I will say this though. Um, I think if you went into that area with a notepad and a, a and something to write on, it would not be successful. 
to (laughs) partly because by going in there like that you'd be going in for exploitative and uh extractive purposes Mm. they're used to that uh and you've got the clannish nature of it that is true those things do exist uh but i do think just by the way that they would go and ask i mean it reminds me of I forget. I think it was Sherman Alexi who said, uh, "Cut, you know, first the government sent the uh, the cavalry, and then the university sent the anthropologists." Um, you know, and yeah. it's just Ooh. that. Wow, it's that vibe <laughs> of tell me everything about your culture so that I might depict it. Like, no, <laughs> fuck off. How about how about no? Right. How about I don't want to. So I yeah. I don't know how much success they would have had. Have yeah. they gone into those places and asked for those voices but, because but the their very questions trying. wouldn't have worked? Yeah, but the lack of trying says a is lot. Is very telling, yeah. You know, so. yeah. And again, I think you you nailed it with, uh, they didn't think they had to, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. So. Um, I know that neither of us really want to be found anymore, so. No, uh, not at present. Do you have any book recommendations you would like to give? Um, I do not. Okay. The, actually, no, I do. I do. Um, I very, very highly recommend, uh, Karen Wynn Fonstad's, um, Howl's Moving Castle, the, okay. the book upon which the, uh, animation was based. Cool. Um, it is a, I, I, I love the film. Like I, I am absolutely over the moon about the movie but um the the book is there is a wonderful quality to uh the author's voice in in the book um that i very highly recommend so there we go how about you i'm going to recommend a book called uh the injustice of place by Catherine mm. j eden h luke schaefer and timothy j nelson um, it, its subtitle is Uncovering the Legacy of Poverty in America. And what they okay. did was they they kind of Aaron Reicht it, but they did it more as a study instead of an experiential kind of gonzo journalism. Oh, um, okay, cool. they, they're huge scholars um, of okay. poverty, and they basically went to the poorest places in the United States. They set out like basically a matrix for what makes for poverty and, and, and so on. And they went to the okay. four, like the four, I think it's four or five, poorest places the um one of which is in appalachia uh the rest are in the cotton and tobacco belts of the deep south uh and south texas um and they looked at why are these places poor um and why are they you know why do people keep pointing to chicago uh even though it's nowhere near as bad (laughs) as it is there and so the the uh the discussion of it is is just phenomenal um so i highly recommend that especially given what we're about to get into so okay um real fast i I need to correct myself the author uh, in question is diana win jones um so my apologies to miss jones uh and miss fonstad um diana win jones is the author of the novel howl's moving castle and it is amazing very cool. cool sorry about that no worries all right um where can we be found we can be well i mean we don't we individually don't want to be found but you've somehow found us collectively if you're listening to this um our podcast is available uh from our website at wubba 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 dot geekhistoryoftime.com 
uh, or you've found us either on uh, Spotify or the Apple Podcast app, wherever it is that you have found us, please take the time to subscribe and give us the five-star review that you know Damien has earned with his exhaustive research uh, on this topic. Um, and yeah, that's, I think, about it. Cool. Well, right. for A Geek History of Time, I am Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, get off my land.